Today's scripture comes to us from Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the prophets. And, sorry, apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is the word of our Lord. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, great is your faithfulness. We, we, we sing it and we know it, God, and I pray that you would make it abundantly evident to us. God, show us that you are faithful through your word, God. Pray that you would soften our hearts, God, to receive your truth and, and to quicken our minds to understand the, the depths of the beauty that is going on here, here in this early church, God, and I pray that it would be uh, some sort of a, a framework for us to move forward into this city. We pray, for especially God, for Your will to be done. Amen. Well, uh, going to seminary, it takes some students this long. It took me about this long to get through seminary. And we were living on campus, and it was a wonderful time. And they had a pool on campus, which was wonderful. So every now and then, the pool would actually be filled with water because it wasn't being repaired. So that was one star. And then the seminary student who was the lifeguard actually showed up. And so when those two starry hosts aligned, you could bring your family and go up there and go swimming. And our, our kids were, you know, two, three, four years old at the time. And they love to go out and go on the diving board and walk out to the end, peer over, and then look at me on the edge, and then come back and peer over and then come back. And I get them like, okay, I got to go in the water and, and catch you. And um, while you're in seminary, you have a mind that is well trained to sit at a desk for hours and hours and hours on end. And one of the consequences of that is that you not only have a well-trained mind to sit at a desk for hours and hours, you also have a body that is well-suited to sit at a desk for hours and hours and hours on end. So you take this seminary body and you plop it in the water and it's rather buoyant and you're treading water out there and it's not too long before you realize, I'm tired. I got all this activity going on. I'm doing all these things, but I'm going nowhere whatsoever. I'm just waiting for kids to jump off the end of the diving board. And you can have a lot of activity, but no progress whatsoever. That's what we see in a lot of churches today. We are filled with activity. We have, we have this program, that program. We have this going on. We have this niche ministry over there, and we have a lot of activity, but we can never 
never confuse. We can never conflate the two ideas of activity and progress. So, that's our main idea. That's what we're driving at. As we're taking this sermon, just to kind of set it aside, next week we're going to start First Peter. We're taking this week to just kind of look out over this next year and say, what are we going to do? What are we going to focus in on? As a church, what are we going to be pressing towards as a, as a church? How are we going to move from this green pasture to that green pasture over there? So, main idea. As a church, you see it in your own spiritual life. So you cannot confuse activity with progress. So we're going to be focusing in on these three things here. Number one, disciple. Disciple. Number two, dedicate. Not just your children. We don't do that here anyways, but don't dedicate your children. Dedicate yourself. God's equipped you. God's given you a gift. Not just a gift, a spiritual gift. Use it. So, disciple, dedicate, and then declare as well. Disciple, dedicate, and declare. So, let's jump in here. Verses 42 and 43. Let's go back to the text here. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now this is, uh, we have here the, the idyllic picture here of the early church. And, and even churches today will proclaim themselves, you see it on usually a wooden sign, out in front of the church, like a New Testament church. And, and this is what they have in mind. They're, they're living in this perfect utopia. But I'm sorry, they're, they're sinners. You just keep reading several chapters and you have people dropping dead during the offering time. So if you want a New Testament church, if this is what you want, watch out during the offerings. You might have people dropping dead. So just put aside this perfect utopia that this is exactly what happens and this should always happen and if we don't have this, then we're somehow falling short. Put that aside. Rejoice. Nobody should die today during the offering. So we see here in the text, before this, Peter is is preaching. Go up to um, verse 23. Peter is, is preaching to them about this Christ. And who is He? He's this Jesus whom you crucified and killed. You were killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 24. You killed Him, but God God raised Him up. Go down a little bit further and look in verse 37. And when they heard this, they were cut. They were cut to the heart. And they respond. What must we do? What must we do to be saved? And, and Peter responds to them in verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent. Repent and be baptized. Go down a little bit. Verse 41. So those who received His Word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Do you want this church growth strategy? Preach Christ crucified. They didn't even have website. They didn't have fantastic signs. None of that. They had the Spirit, prayer, preaching Christ crucified. That's how they grew their church. And then we begin in our text, we see, okay, we have this formation of the church. 
What does it look like outside of Sunday morning? What does it look like? So you see that they're dedicating themselves to the prayers, meaning the prayers in the temple at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. is when it's going out. But what does it look like? What does the Christian life look like outside of this time, outside of Sunday morning? And so you see, ESP, they, they, they do a great job. They have this, they translate it, they devoted themselves. It's actually a participle of this, this main verb, this, this to exist. I am, I exist. And the participle describes how are they existing? What is the state in which the church existed? Well, they, they exist in the state of devoting themselves. And it's, it's not just this, this heiress that's done. No, it's, it's ongoing and ongoing and ongoing. It's, they, they, they nail it here. It's this, this idea of giving constant, careful attention. It's not something that's done, and then you go on your way. That's, that's how we sometimes think of, of Sunday morning in the Christian life. We go, oh, well, I, I have this, and now it's done. I close my Bible, I get in the car, I yell at them to be quiet, and then we go home and eat lunch. That's the Christian life. But we see here, it's, it's a little bit different. They devote themselves. They have this careful attention that they are giving to them. So giving to this. And what are they looking at? Well, first, of teaching, fellowship, breaking of the bread, and also prayer. And this is the perfect example of discipleship. That's what's going on. So when you, when you see this, which is Christ is with the apostles. And these are the very things that Christ is doing with the apostles. So it's not only natural for the apostles then to do this with the early church. So this is the framework they give us for discipleship. Even think of the disciples. How are they categorized? The Christ's relationship to the world is that he's declaring, repent for the... The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's his relationship to the world. But his, his relationship to the people following him, it's this discipleship. Discipleship. They're with him intimately. He calls them and says, Come, follow me. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. As an aside, read uh, Jeremiah 16, if you want to see. He's not only calling them because they're fishermen, but he's declaring the kingdom has come. As well, even at that. So, even by his relationship with them, he is drawing in these disciples, these, this ragamuffin, this motley crew of, of men, of fishermen and tax collectors, zealots, the, the whole spectrum, drawing them in to be disciples, to have discipleship. So, we see that Christ is teaching the disciples, and then the disciples go on and teach the new church here. So Christ is teaching the disciples, read the Gospels. It's filled with Christ's teaching. It doesn't take too long before Christ's ministry begins and the Matthew, then bam, Sermon on the Mount. Then you have all of these, these healings, but they're a platform in which to declare the kingdom and to do this teaching about what it is. And then we have these kingdom parables as well. Teaching, teaching, teaching. The gospel. Who is Christ? What has he done? So it's only expected then that the early church is centered around this teaching as well. The disciples carry this on. And also fellowship. Not only teaching, but fellowship as well. Jesse was teaching us uh, during his sermon about this 
how profound it is during the school of theology, how profound it is that the Word became flesh. And it dwelled, He dwelled among us. We lost it in the garden. Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the evening, but we lost that in the garden. And now in Christ, we have fellowship again. We have fellowship with God. And so God, Christ is not just some distant, theoretical God that's, that's transcendent and over everything, but no, He's imminent and He's close. He's close to you. He's close to you, Joel. He's, he's close to all of us. And thus, because we have fellowship with God, we have fellowship with others. And you see the disciples again carrying on what Christ has imparted to them. No, okay, so we have teaching and fellowship, and now the breaking of the bread, and Christ, he broke bread. He ate with these believers. And the commentators, of course, they have to argue about is this the Lord's Supper, is this just common meals? And the answer is yes, as you see in the Lord's Supper, God redeeming the ordinary for his glory. It's both. And so we see this Christ coming. Teaching them and having fellowship with them and breaking bread with them and also having prayer with them. You see Christ make a lot of requests and a lot of questions to the disciples and to the religious elites of the time. But What's the request that the disciples have to Christ? You see it in Luke 11. Lord, teach us to pray. They see Him pray. They see Him pray. They see, here is God eternal. Has perfect communion. Christ has perfect communion with God the Father in the Spirit. Through the Spirit. Has a perfect communion throughout all eternity past. And now they... Christ is come and He's in the world. And how does He carry on that communion with God the Father? But through prayer. Through prayer is how He, he carries it on. And so in this amazing gift of prayer, you guys are able to have this communion with God that Jesus Christ had through the Spirit, that Jesus Christ and the Father had throughout all eternity. We are able to have that communion with God through prayer. So what does this look like? Okay, so as a church, we want to, we, we want to, okay, we want to have discipleship. What does it look like? Well, it's just laid before you. Through teaching and fellowship, through the breaking of bread, and through praying. So, yes, it's, in other words, it's, it's holy and it's sanctified, and it's ugly, and it's messy. And if you're like me, you're, you're tempted to just keep people at arm's distance. And so we'll disciple you. Great. We'll, we'll talk about grammar. And that's about as close as we'll get. But no, with Christ, you see them drawing them in, bringing them close. And this is what is carried on then in the early church. Okay, so that's what it is. How do we do it? Why? We must answer that question. You, simply put, through discipleship, you, you, that's where you see this great transformative power in people's life. It's, it's the mortar that holds everything together. It's, it's the spice that, that your wife puts on the meal to make it go from palatable to amazing. All of that happens through discipleship. Christ, He could have stayed in the synagogues. They met a lot 
in the synagogues. Every day they met in the synagogues. He could have just stayed there. He could have just done his teaching in the temple. No, where do you see them? They're, they're in the streets. He has a street ministry. As he's walking to Jairus' house, this lady comes to him who is bleeding. They're out in the fields. He goes up on the slopes of the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And then it is there that he gives the Sermon on the Mount. He's walking through the grain fields and he begins to take some grain and eat it. And then they have a discussion about the Sabbath and what the Sabbath is truly about and who is the Lord of the Sabbath. All of that happens outside of the synagogue, outside of the temple. That's where all of this transformative power happens. So, for example, I mean, look at Joe mentioned himself earlier during Sunday school. Joe, we, we met Joe several years ago. He was sober for 18 months, maybe, if I'm rounding up. 18 months, and now he's in the works with Patrick to go and plant another church in this city. How does that happen? Through discipleship. Through discipleship. So if you want to see a traumatic transformation in someone's life, if you want to be a part of that, disciple them. If you want that in your own life, have the humility to go to someone and say, teach me. I see how you adore your wife. I'm not there yet. Can you disciple me? My husband does the same thing your husband does, and I'm bitter and you're not. Can you disciple me? Have the humility and have the willingness to go and transform someone's life. So that's our uh, discipleship. Be a disciple. Make a disciple. So we, we see this... Years before, this year before us, we would want to focus on, okay, disciple and also dedicate and declare. So let's look here at dedication. Go to, back to the text here, verse 44. And all who be- believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing all the proceeds to all as, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And here the, the, this glorious movement goes from the prelude to the to the Alemond with the dance together is what we see in this progression. So how do the church interact? Okay, they get saved individually, great. Unfortunately, joyously how do they interact? How do they, how, how do they live together? Well, they live together as one. And it seems, again, it seems idyllic, but it's rather profound when you think of it. So here's the setting. What's going on is, um, Deuteronomy 16, you have these required festivals that you're supposed to come to three times a year. The host of the Jewish people that come in, you bring enough uh, provisions to make it there. You give your offering and then you're out, you're back home, you go back to the fields. So you come into Pentecost and you're making your offering and you're ready to go back, but then you see this crazy man with a Galilean accent preaching 
and declaring that this Messiah who you have just come to make the offering to, in the hopes of His coming, you hear that He's already come. And you knew from growing up that you were supposed to have this Messiah who is to come and He is to suffer, but He was to be the King. And you don't know how it really all works. And here's this crazy man again with a Galilean accent, Peter, talking and declaring that this Messiah has come, but we missed Him. We crucified Him. But we can have hope. Because in His death, He has conquered death. We, well, you can't go home now. No. You, you can't go home now. You want to learn more. So you stay. And so that's the setting, what's going on. That's why there's this, this need for people like Barnabas to, to sell their land. Think of how profound this is. The, the promise, they were given the promise of land. And that's what they're holding on to. And they are freely giving it up for the church. You see where it's being fulfilled. And so they're giving it up because there's this host of people who are here who don't have any means because they're expecting to go back home, but they're here and they get saved. And so you see people, well, what are they doing? Well, they're, they're selling their possessions, meaning land, basically, is, is what the word is, the context of the word usually used. And the people are, are inviting other folks into their homes. You have some that are just giving food. And what are they doing? This is their gifts. They're operating in, in their spiritual gifts. And it's for this glorious church. They're all building them up. Building up the body of Christ. You see in Ephesians 1 that, that, that Christ has had all things put under His feet when He ascends back to the Father and He has the name above all names and everything like that that Paul's going on and on about this in this prayer. And he concludes it by saying, and God has placed all things under His feet and given Him as head over all things to the church. It's profound. And he makes it a, a little more profound. And he said, which is His body? The fullness of Him who fills all in all. And it was meeting with Phil a couple times ago and he, we were going through this Ephesians 4. And he was showing me how these spiritual gifts, we, we live in individualistic lives, right? That's, that's the way we live. So when we think of a spiritual gift, we go, great, I'm gifted to do this for God. And if I'm really good, other people see it, and that'll be great. That's what we all think, right? That's why you laugh. So we think of it in these individual terms. No, you see here in Ephesians that these gifts, these spiritual gifts are for what? For the building up of the body of Christ. They're all used to these, he's given these gifts in Ephesians 4 verse 12 to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up, the building up of the body of Christ. So we must, we must use these spiritual gifts, but this is not just a, um, a plea for you to do more, to work harder. No, that's, that's, that's not it at all. So you have the gift of generosity. We don't just say, they gave in the early church, you should give now. Oh, no, no, no. We just step back and go, look at our generous God. 
who has given us the, the sun, the moon, the stars, and the planets, these starry hosts for you to enjoy. He's given you the deer that just dance across the field. He's given you his own son. Now go, go and do likewise. So it's, it's not under compulsion whatsoever, but it's just saying reflect the generosity of God. That's what we do. So we, in sharing the gospel, we don't just say, well, share the gospel more. You saw Peter do it, right? You should do it too. No, but we go, hey, step back, look, look. Here's the prophets. Here's Moses. They are these glorious, amazing, these men and women who are wonderful witnesses to Christ. And it is this Christ who is the supreme and perfect witness to God. So don't just go out there and share the gospel more. No, no, it's not works. But we implore you to stand in awe of Christ as the perfect witness to God. Likewise, with we have, we have time. A little anecdote. Uh, we likewise with uh, submission. Um, here it is. Several years ago, I, I again our, our kids were young. They were like one, two, three, and four at the time. Quite young, and and we were wrestling with them. Still wrestling with them. And in terms of like submitting to us as parents. And so what do you don't do? You don't say just submit, submit, submit. And I, I tossed out the idea that maybe. Perhaps, just a theory, their reluctance to submit to, their reluctance to submit to us was because they were, in fact, seeing my wife's reluctance to joyfully submit to me. So I throw that idea out there. And silence ensued. And I, it's one of those times you see the words go out and you're just wanting to like chase them back in. You're like, it, it left my mouth. And, and so never has a man so fervently prayed for the, the seventh seal and to be broken and the seventh trumpet to resound as I did right there. But it's by God's grace that I'm with you here today. <laughs> so we, we don't, don't do as I did. We don't just say submit, submit, submit. No, no. We hold before you the picture of Christ and His perfect submission to God the Father. So we don't just say simply do more, but we say live your life before Christ and live as Christ lives. Well, okay, so how do we do that? Live as Christ lives. I can't do that individually. But no, as a church, we can. As a church, we are the body of Christ. So as a church, we are able to live out Christ as if he were still here. So imagine a body with this really strong Mike Bold-esque right arm and this limping left foot. Well, the poor thing, it could hardly walk, right? And we'll look at the right arm and go, wow, man, we got a maid. But no, it's, we're not making any progress. We're going nowhere because not everybody's giving of their spiritual gifts. Not everybody's working in the way that they can. So what are we doing? So by doing this, we're working it out to fulfill the body of Christ. That's what we are doing. And so we're, we're actually, we're quite encouraged by the way so many of you serve and to lead. We actually, I would, I would say we have the output of what we do 
of a church two, three times our size, of what we're able to pull off. It's astounding how you guys are active in the community. Uh, I mean, just serving, serving meals to men just getting out of prison, leading Bible studies as they transition back to normalcy. Having Bible studies for women and young moms so they can navigate these difficult waters and talk with other moms and, and see that their struggle is, is not just theirs, but it's quite common. We have a group of men who are eager to get together and to go into the local jail and start preaching. That's amazing. We, you guys come here early on your day, which everybody else sleeps in. You wake up early to come and set up this glorious stage. And tear it down again, put it in a trailer, drive it, park it, and drive it back, and set it up again. It's All of this is directed towards fulfilling the body of Christ. And so our goal, as we talked about it as elders, our goal is to have 100% of you. 100% of this church serving in their spiritual giftings. Find, talk to one of the elders, talk to your community group leaders, find a way that you may do it. Many of you are doing it, but we have a ways to go. And it begins with you realizing that you, again, you are vital. You are vital to this church. It's not just a place to come and listen to a sermon, hear some great worship by Brandon, and then go home. That's not what it is. This is you being a part of a local body, the body of Christ, where you can do something, where you are gifted, and you are gifted spiritually to do something far greater than you can do because we serve a great God. So come and be a part of this. You want to... Help with the finance. You can count numbers. Talk to Matt. Talk to Dennis about doing the finance. Or you want to do missions, talk to Rocky or Eric about that. Talk to Katie about that. You want to help with set up and tear down one, God bless your soul. Two, talk to Kevin. Talk to Andrew. Or if you want to find ways to serve in your community or in this city, talk to your community group leaders. Talk to Patrick and Joe have wonderful ways where we can reach this city around us. So let's recap here. One, we see the church devoting themselves to discipleship, to replicating what Christ has given to them. That's what they continue on. Not just in the synagogue, not just in the temple, but in their homes as well. That's what's laid before us. Number two, we see that they dedicate themselves. They dedicate themselves. Everybody's a part of it. Nobody's too great. Nobody's too small. They're all essential and they're all vital. Barnabas sells a field. Great job. Who's going to hand it out? Who's going to buy a lot of bread? Okay. Who's going to bake it? They're all vital to what's going on. And finally here we see this, this declare as they go out. Uh, let's just pick it up at the end of... Well, let's do verse 47 here. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. So we've seen here, what, what, what is going on after they're filled with the Spirit? You're a believer? Good. You're filled with the Spirit. Good. How do we see their interactions with 
with amongst themselves is that they take care of each other, they nurture each other, they build one another up in, in mutual uh, admission of love, and they're caring for. That's beautiful. Now, how do you see their interaction with the world? What's the same thing as with Christ? Christ is calling them to repent. They call the world to repent. Christ is nurturing them as they look inward. They nurture themselves as they look inward as well. And again, this is not rooted under compulsion, but this internal well of joy that is coming forth. This joy to share the works of Christ. Peter's going up there and he says, can you believe it? Men, listen. Listen to this. Nobody saw it coming. Listen to this. That this long-awaited Messiah has come. God has, has redeemed His people. We thought of it as the, the Hebrew people. No, but it's, it's all nations. It's the whole world that's going to be redeemed. And they can't help but to tell about this God. And this God has come to redeem His humanity. Not just to, to play sport with them, like you see with the, the Greek gods. You know, Zeus and Ares, the god of war. He'll cause some little war to go on so he can come down and kill people. No! That's, what not, that's not our God. Our God has come down to redeem us. And so they carry forth. They're like the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 20 when he writes, basically, I can't keep silent. If I say I will not mention Him or speak any more in His name, there is in my heart as if it were a burning fire shut up, welling up in my bones. I am weary from holding it in and I cannot. They can't hold it in. No, no guilt trip is going to bring that about, but this joy of being saved. It's the natural reaction. So you, you keep going. Again, go to chapter 5. After Ananias and Sapphira are dead during the offering, the apostles, they get sent to jail. The, the, same, the same officials that had just killed Messiah, the Messiah, they're arrested and, and then they're freed and they're compelled and they're told, do not tell anybody about this, what has happened. And he says every day, Luke writes, every day in the temple and from house to house. Discipleship. Not just in church, but in house to house. From the, every day from the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. They can't help it. They can't help it. And so you see this what, what is going on though? They, they persist in these things. And praising God and sharing the gospel. They're devoting themselves. But what is actually happening is that it's our sovereign God who is working through them just as He will work through you and your gifting to redeem His people. The Lord, it says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So why then, as a church, as we're looking over this next year, why then are we focusing on this proclamation of the gospel? One, we have to say it, glory of God. It's certainly enough. But moving beyond that, in our culture, this is the only means of survival. This is the only way a church can continue to exist. People are not meandering in here because it's culturally relevant. 
or it's the cultural norm. That doesn't happen anymore. You don't get bystanders coming in. It's only the work of God, and it's only happening by these beautiful people, your beautiful people, going out in the do- into the city and sharing the gospel. And so the kingdom of God has never grown passively. The people of God have never experienced revival by doing nothing. But no, they devote themselves to the prayer and the proclamation of God. And so we must freely engage. And we do, yes, we know that this battle is not a, this struggle is not of flesh and blood, but my friends, it is a struggle. As we wage war with the kingdom of darkness, there's a battle to go forth and to bring good news. The good news. The only good news. The only saving good news and work of Christ into the city of darkness. So again, it's not a guilt trip. But it's... Look, think of it this way. God has used Christ to redeem His people. Specifically, God has used Christ's body to redeem His people. Christ has ascended back to the Father. He's interceding for us at this very moment. And so what is God using to redeem His people? Christ's body. To continue to redeem His people. So we don't just... It's not under compulsion. It's not that we have these conversations with our neighbors and invite other people to church. No, no, no. It's a stand in awe of this glorious God who has done this glorious thing to redeem His people. And God is using you, Christ's body. God is using us, the body of Christ, the local church, the body of Christ, to continue to redeem His people. So we have this goal. Goal one, 100%. All of you serving in your spiritual giftings. Maybe that's being patient with your kids. Maybe that's what it is. Goal number two. We want to be engaged in this city so that we are having 366 gospel... It's a leap here, so 365. 366 gospel conversations. A group of 100 people, it should be very easy. 1% of us. One a day. Gospel conversations. You, you see, it's the natural outflow. So all we're saying is, don't damn it up. Let it come flowing out. Let the joy of Christ come flowing out of you. As you are used by God to redeem His people. That is our goal. And so we want to celebrate these as well. So if you let one of the elders know, let your community group leader know, and we'll continue to pray for them on Sunday mornings as we have been doing from the pulpit. So we want to be in this city and to serve the city and to love this city. And the best way and the primary way we do that is through the proclamation of the gospel. So in closing, we are very fortunate, my friends. The elders, we feel humbled, very humbled. I hope you do too, to be a part of this church. It's, it's glorious what God is doing among us and through you guys. And to see the Spirit moving through you, people who are struggling with suicide now have 
amazing, thriving marriages in which they are now helping others. People who have come out of addiction, people who are doing well in the world's eye have been brought down and now they're walking a path of humility. All of this is happening in you. In this local body. And it's, it's joyous to, to be a part. So in this next year, as we look forward, where are we going? Disciple. Be a disciple. Make a disciple. If you want to see someone's life transformed, disciple them. Okay, read the Word. Spend time with them. Pray with them. Disciple. Dedicate. Again, not our children, but yourselves. God has equipped you. with given you a gift. Not just something you're proficient at, but no, something you are spiritually gifted as we see with worship this morning. Use it to edify the body, to build up the body, to feel the fullness of Christ who is all in all. And then finally, declare. Because the light doesn't shine inward, it shines outward. And this is what the people of God have done ever since our passage that we have read this morning. God help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we, we long and we desire to be a church, to be a perfect picture of Your Son who has come, who, who lives among the people, God. And He's not just in the temple and only in the temple, but God, He's in the world and He's sharing the glorious news of Your redeeming grace that has come down, God. Let us be the beautiful feet to this city, God. Let us open our homes. Let us serve one another, God. Let us build us up that we might be used by You, even in the midst of our pride and our sin and our our wretched arrogance, God. You still use us. We pray in this upcoming year, God, that You would be glorified through this church. And many, many more tongues would be seen of Your glorious praise. Amen.